Welcome to your number one source of information on women's pelvic health. On this podcast, you will hear from medical experts, pelvic health professionals, holistic healers, and patients themselves in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about regaining and maintaining your pelvic health and becoming your own best advocate for your pelvic floor, the most vital part of our bodies as women. All of the conversations are intimate, raw, and unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible. specializes in healing chronic pain through the mind-body connection. So I, I am Nicole Sachs and um, I'm a psychotherapist first. I'm also a writer and a podcaster and a speaker and a teacher and I've dedicated my life and my practice to spreading the mind-body connection message to people who are suffering from all different sorts of chronic conditions, whether it be pelvic pain, of course that's what we're talking about here, or um, fibromyalgia or migraines or irritable bowel disease or back, neck, shoulder, hip, knee, foot, elbow, whatever pain, sciatic pain. Um, I've worked with people all over the world for many, many years and, um, and that's what we're here to talk about today. Thank you, seriously. This is really special. I'm very excited to have you here and I just finished your book, which I told you, which was really interesting and I've gotten numerous messages on Instagram since I posted yesterday that you were coming on the podcast saying how you've changed people's lives and actually which is the reason I, I I had never heard about your work and someone messaged me this woman from Australia and on Instagram and she out of the blue was just a few weeks ago was like I think you should find out I think you should know about this woman Nicole Sachs I've had Bulbadinia for years and no one could help me and I found out about Nicole Sachs work and it's like saved my life and you should look into her and so I was like okay I'm gonna look into her yeah so I started googling I ordered your book and then I was like wow this is crazy I need to know more about this I need I need like I need to, to speak with you learn about what you do and then I messaged you and I was like I mean people are telling me that you've saved their lives <laughs> yeah I get that a do lot. you want to come on the podcast and I'm really so thank yeah, you and it all worked out so great because um, I was just teaching up at the Omega Institute, and that's a retreat center in upstate New York. And I was heading back down on the way to get my kids from camp, and so this worked out to pass through the city. It's perfect. So um, a lot of people want to know why I got so deeply and passionately into this work. Okay, so it starts with the fact that when I was a freshman in college, I had what they call an acute pain incident. So my back completely went out. Um, like on the floor of my sorority house, it was during sorority rush, which anyone who went to college and was in, you know, the Greek life, it's like a very stressful time. And I was, um, I was flat out. Like my parents had to come, it was two weeks before Christmas break and they had to come and literally physically remove me from college, bring me home. And I had horrible, acute, searing lower back pain. And nobody, like, it was, I had never um, had really serious pain before. I had aches, you know, like being like a kid and growing pains and whatever. So they took me to all the doctors, and I had the x-rays and the MRIs, and I was diagnosed with acute degenerative spondylolisthesis, which is a really severe condition of the lower spine, where the vertebrae, in my case, I have an entire vertebrae that's shattered and replaced with scar tissue, and I have two vertebrae that look like they're sitting atop one another, 
and I have stress fractures in my in my vertebrae above and below. So they were like, well, of course, this accounts for your for your pain. And I was put on, you know, opioid pain medications and steroids, and I got electric stim treatments in my back, and all the things that people get when they have acute problems. And so my problem, which this happens a lot, moved from acute pain to chronic pain. So like I could move around and I could live my life, but it was just this nagging, always pain. And the orthopedist at the time told me, you might live till you're 40 without spinal fusion surgery, but if, and, and at the time, now this is 1990, um, spinal fusion surgery was six weeks in a body cast. So it was like no joke, and it was also that your spine is fused with a metal rod and you'll have decreased mobility for life. So nobody was telling me at 19 that I had to get this crazy surgery, but at the same time, they were like, here's how you can avoid it until like at least you're 40. You can't travel, you cannot lift anything heavier than about 10 to 15 pounds, you can't ride in the car for more than an hour because of the bouncing motion of the car, you need to sleep, if you ever sleep on your back, your legs need to be elevated or the fetal position, no sleeping on your stomach, and the biggest one was the likelihood that you'll ever have a biological child is, is probably, you should probably say goodbye to that. And it was just the blow of a lifetime. You're 19, your whole life is in front of you, and you've basically been told you have like a living death sentence. Like you are going to now have to live a small, limited life. And if you live in enough fear, maybe you'll live till 40 without this like crazy catastrophic surgery. So it was like insane to be told that at that age. And at the time, I just believed it. And I was young enough and like sort of just like my defense mechanisms all kicked up. So like, I was like, okay, I went back to college. I finished my degree. I lived very scared. I lived very small. And the years went on until I was in grad school and I was living in the Midwest in grad school. And my mom saw the original Rosie O'Donnell show. This is like before you were born, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it was a long time ago. Rosie O'Donnell had a talk show and she was, it was very popular. And she had a um, producer on named Jeanette Barber, who I now know. Um, who was in a motorized wheelchair because she was so ill, um, so in pain. She had um, leg, like knee, ankle, and foot pain that was so severe she could no longer walk. And um, so Rosie went on and she said, uh, her, her segment was called Fix Jeanette. She was like, her doctors can't find anything wrong with her. She's like at the brink. Does anybody out there have an idea for her? And people wrote in that she had to check out Dr. John Sarno who I had never heard of, my mom had never heard of, and my mom calls me, and I always say it's like in the hysterical Jewish mother, like, oh my God, like I, I have the solution. And she said, this woman, because my mom was watching the second segment, so it was, it was the second, it was the follow-up to Fix Jeanette, and Jeanette Barber, who had been in a motorized wheelchair, did a cartwheel on stage, and then they showed footage of her running the New York Marathon. So I was like, my everybody who was watching that was like, what the hell, how is this possible? So. I got, and I found out about Dr. Sarno, he was a best-selling author many times over of mind-body medicine books. And he was a medical doctor, an esteemed medical doctor, practicing for, at that time, many years, but by the time he retired, it was 50 years, at the Rusk Center for Rehabilitation at NYU Medical Center. So it's like a very reputable person, not like a hippy-dippy, you know, Eastern medicine healer. This is a doctor at NYU. So I read his book, and what I understood about the book is, and this is like now going to morph into some of my language because this is, I've evolved these theories over time where I kind of don't remember what words are mine. And so I'm attributing it to him. It is his, it's his theories, but this is the way I explain it. We live in a mind-body system. 
And even the best doctors in the world at Mayo Clinic at Harvard cannot explain 100% of the way the brain functions. At this point, we're only understanding a small percentage of brain function. That when the nervous system goes into sustained fight or flight, and this was Dr. Sarno's theory, that the emotional repression that we have to do just by being alive, just by living, just by the natural triggers of trauma or of just life trauma, just being like in a family and like how it feels to be like hurt or like you're heartbroken or, you know, teased in school or not like your body or all the things that happen to us as we grow up, we repress it and we repress it and we repress it. And at some point in our life, it starts rising and it threatens to come into consciousness how scared and sad and angry and rageful and terrified and traumatized and ashamed we are. And as it starts to rise, our nervous system and our brain, which are, it's a very natural defense mechanism trying to protect us, signals pain signals because if, and this is what I contend, if life is a choice between what hurts and what hurts worse, which sounds really negative, no, I love this, but the so. truth of the matter is it's a fucking relief. Can I swear? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a total relief. And the reason it's a relief is because everything in life comes down to what hurts or what hurts worse. So, and I'll explain a little more of this later. But if life is a choice between what hurts and what hurts worse, and if the nervous system in sustained fight or flight has to choose between what is a lesser predator and the repressed emotions are starting to rise and we are threatened to realize how unbearable our lives are because that's the repressed emotions are just in the voice of like a five-year-old child. They're not reasonable, mm -hmm. you know? Just because your aunt criticizes your parenting and she's going to be at the family reunion and she makes you feel like you're a terrible person and you hate yourself, that's like, you can live through that. But in the, in the primitive brain, when things like that start to rise and it could threaten, let's say, our ability to connect as human beings. And as human beings, our lifeblood is connection. And so it's like a fight or flight, life and death situation as perceived by the primitive brain. What's safer? Let's think about it. What's safer? Is having a migraine safer and going and laying down? Is having back pain safer so you cancel the plans? Is having vulvodynia or interstitial cystitis safer because now you're not gonna do and put yourself out there and do all the things? Yes. It doesn't make logical sense for a a thinking person walking this earth because they want to go out and do those things. But we have to understand that this is brain science. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I started to understand in a much less complicated way in my 20s in grad school that if Dr. Sarno was right, I had to think about what was making me so angry. You know, every symptom kind of has a different component, but one thing that Dr. Sarno talked about is he felt back pain was connected to rage. Unexpressed rage because rage is really unacceptable in our society especially for girls and women. Mm -hmm. And so I did this, I like embarked on doing a science experiment on myself. So my back pain would kick up and I would, instead of just like bemoaning my ruined life and my future I would never have and the babies I would never have, I said, why am I so angry? Let's just, let's try it out, let's see. And I would acknowledge a few things that probably I would never wanna to repeat to anyone else that were really pissing me off this is back in the day before I got deep into the work, but this was my first inkling of it. And I would like get into doing something and I would attend to my back like 10 minutes later and it wasn't hurting. And I was like, holy shit, this works. Like I didn't know how it worked, but I didn't care at the time. It worked. it worked. I went from being a person who was like in pain all the time to like I would forget about my pain for a day at a time. And it was like a really crazy change in my life. It was and like, like the pain was like 10 out of 10 pain. Yeah, 
times I needed help going to the bathroom. Yeah. Like really, really serious. And right. I was on medication that I d didn't make me feel well. And you know, anyone who's ever been on steroids, it's terrible. And I didn't want to get addicted to opioids. And plus, like at the time, they weren't prescribing them. You know, it wasn't like candy jars in <laughs> doctors' offices at the time. So that like, you couldn't like get good painkillers anyway. And I, I just nothing was working for me. And this started working for me, and that wakes you up. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So essentially, as the years went on, I like started to believe that I wasn't broken. And as I started to believe that I wasn't broken, I lived my life. So I got married, and I had two kids. And so your back pain went away. My back through this work. Through this work, my back. Yes, yes. At the time, because mm -hmm. it's like the story is more complicated, right. which has really given birth to what is my practice and my theories now, uh -huh. now but at the time my back pain did go away completely just from understanding the theories and by looking at my anger and I had two babies 22 months apart and they I exercised until the day they were born so like I was defying all odds and then you know we were waiting for the fall from grace because of course it's coming I was in my early early 30s I had just had my second baby and I um my son was 10 months old and he was like in a walker, like a little wheelie walker and he was walking around my deck in Pound Ridge and um, I was worried that he kept getting close to the stairs, that he was going to like topple over like the three stairs that went from the deck to the driveway. So I lifted the walker with the baby in it, which most people who have had back problems go, oh, but the truth is you can do that. Right. But I did it and it felt like a hot knife was dragging through my back. It was the most searing pain. I have ever experienced except for childbirth and I like set him down on the driveway and I could not straighten up and I called out to my friend who was over and I was like something bad happened I've done it now I've done it right so all these years like of Dr. Sarno and all the mind-body theory went out the window and I was like now I've done it I fucked it up I've ruined it now I'm gonna like be I'm gonna have to have the surgery like all the fear and this is why I tell people all the time <clears throat> chronic pain is an epidemic of fear it is, yes, it's about pain, yes, it's about symptoms, but it's about the meaning we give to the things that are happening to us in our lives, and we start projecting all this doom and gloom. And I know this podcast is about pelvic pain, and a lot of the women I've worked with over the years, and I've worked with thousands of people around the world, because I have online programs and people are contacting me, when they have pelvic pain, it's first of all so embarrassing, mm -hmm. and it's so something they don't want to talk about, when people start getting these problems and they, they're like, you know, they, they don't want to talk about it and they don't know what's going on, this starts to make a tremendous amount of meaning. And actually, considering that we are talking about pelvic pain, let's go there. Like, what makes more meaning than a woman who can't be intimate? Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's just, you start projecting, like, I'll never have a boyfriend, I'll never have a husband, I'll never have kids, I'll never have a meaningful relationship. And then, like, you start, like, hating yourself. And it's really, really devastating. So, yes, it starts with the pain. But chronic problems are about fear. About fear and meaning. That's why my book is called The Meaning of Truth. Because I want to start dissecting these words. Like, what is it to tell the truth? What is it to be afraid? You know, and that's, that's a big part of my work. So... At this point, I had already gotten my um, master's, and I was a licensed therapist. I wasn't practicing because I was having these babies, but all my knowledge, all my knowledge of psychology, all my knowledge of Dr. Sarno, all my mind-body knowledge, out the window, and this begins the worst year of my life. 
injection, every therapeutic massage, every acupuncture, electric stim, three days a week physical therapy, nothing was working and it was just getting worse and worse and worse. And I have these two little kids, one, they're both in diapers, both in cribs, like really little kids, like, you know, 10 months and almost, like not even three, like two and a half. And it was crazy. And so I, um, after a year of it, so there's this story that I tell in the book, the story to end all stories, which is I was in, and if you know Pound Ridge, I was in the Rye Ridge Deli in Stanford. <laughs> That's where it was. Do you know this is the deli? Oh, I just went to the Rye Ridge Deli in Rye. Okay. Well, there's a, there's one in Stanford, okay. too, on High Ridge Road. But anyway, so I was at the Rye Ridge Deli. Shout out to the Rye Ridge Deli. It's delicious. But um, I just got like a turkey sandwich. Yeah. Like, amazing and delicious. So I was, I took my kids there for like a meal and I was going to pay. And in the deli, you pay at the counter. And so I had these two like toddlers at the time. I think Oliver had just started walking and Isabella was like two and a half. And they put all this sweet, like, delicious treats, the gummy everything, right, yeah. and, right, like, at the freaking counter, two feet off the ground, where, like, babies are, like, of course, it's like an impulse buy. They probably want your kids to pick it up and be like, buy it for me. Like that scorpion lollipops the other day. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's was... disgusting. <laughs> and so, like, my kids were grabbing the things, and they were, like, running around, and they were, like, shaking the containers, and I'm, like, freaking out. And first of all, I'm in pain all the time. And so when you're parenting, when you're doing anything, forget like parenting, everything you're doing when you're in pain, you're stressed out and you're worried and you're scared and you're anxious and you're angry all the time, essentially. And even if you don't know it. And so they're shaking all the things and they're running around and they're being wild and I'm embarrassed and I'm overwhelmed and I'm trying to pay. And finally, like I wrench everything out of their hands and I put it back properly and I'm walking into the parking lot and it's like a very active parking lot. It's like a strip center with a lot of different stores. And I realize as I'm walking to the car, my back is like seizing up. Like the pain is terrible, but also like my, I feel like my muscles are tensing and I'm not going to be able to like deal with this. And I get to the car and I am in such a state that I can't get my kids in the car and I can't find my keys in the bag. I can't even let go of either of their wrists because if I let go of them, they could run right into traffic. And I just stood there in the parking lot. And this is probably like one of the most epic moments of my life. And I just rested my forehead on the driver's side window of my car and I just cried. I just stood there and cried in the parking lot with my kids, with my diaper bag on my shoulder, like the whole situation. And um, I cried for my ruined life and my kids were gonna have to endure my failure and all the stuff that was coming up for me. And I don't know how long I stood there to this day. I don't have, it was like I blacked out. Like I just stood there and eventually at some point, my body relaxed and I was able to get my kids in the car and I drove them back to the house and I got them to bed and I sat on my bed and I stared out the window like it's stars and I surrendered and I said I don't know if Dr. Sarno's right with all this mind-body medicine like it felt woo-woo to me at the time it felt like bullshit I said but nobody can help me and I am putting my children in danger and it's like, mess with me, don't mess with my kids. Like, we're going to do this. And I called Dr. Sarno's office. He was still practicing at the time. It was, like, exorbitantly expensive to go see him because in 50 years at Rusk, he never got a referral in the building. Not one doctor had ever referred to him within the building because his medicine was ostracized. It was not seen as legit, and it doesn't make anybody any money. Mm -hmm. You know, when you 
write prescriptions for pills and the big pharma model is being elevated that makes people money when you do surgery and it's twenty thousand dollars for five minutes of your time that makes money but talking to people about what's really going on in their lives allowing them to understand that they're living in a mind-body system and that their repressed emotions could be making them sick that's not what you know pays the bills and he was not seen by his community as doing legitimate work so he got to practice there because he was an esteemed physician in the world but he was very expensive because he had to have this sort of boutique practice where people came to him who believed in his work and needed the help. So, I mean, it was crazy. It was like for half hour, I think it was like $1,500. And so I was like, I'm going to take this shit seriously. Like my mom helped me pay for it. And it was like a whole thing. So I knew that no matter what, I was going to go in here and I was going to do this. I was going to believe like a motherfucker. I was going to do the work and I was, whatever he told me to do, I was going to do. And he explained to me like all the things that I talk about in my work. And he was like, if you can unearth your repressed emotions, your pain will just go away. Because he looked at my MRI, he gave me a full physical exam. He was a medical doctor and he said, there is no way that this structural abnormality, the findings on your MRI could account for the way your pain shows up down the leg, up the back, in the shoulder, you know, like uh, sometimes down my shin splint, sometimes into my foot. He said, yeah, this is referred pain, but there's no way. He said, no doctor could look at the MRI and say, this pain could come from this abnormality. What he explained is that we all have normal abnormalities in our body. Just like all people look different on the outside, we look different on the inside. Bulging discs are not a problem. People test bulging discs. Freaking <laughs> No, I'm just telling no, you No, I know, I know. And the reason, Hannah, listen, this is yeah. what I want to say. If this was just a good, fun idea, and I was just on here and had, like, something that would be, like, sort of interesting for you to try, that would be one thing. I've been doing this work for over 25 years, both in my own body and in, pe- in thousands, with thousands of people around the world, and when they believe and they do the work that I tell them as I tell them to do it and they operate with patience and kindness for themselves, they all get better. This is why you're getting emails from people saying I saved their life. I didn't save their life. They saved their own life. This is the realest thing that is happening on this planet and everyone needs to know about it because it is not just about back pain. It is about pelvic pain. It is about migraines. It is about fibromyalgia. It is about all sorts of autoimmune diseases that have all sorts of symptoms. And I'm not saying I can cure autoimmune disease. I'm saying I work with people who are diagnosed with lupus who don't have the symptoms of lupus anymore. So like, it's like, this is your life. Like, how do you want to live? You know? Mm -hmm. I'm looking at her face like you guys, like I will, because it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to, and I've been doing it for a very long time, so for me, it's very easy to talk yeah. about, but it's a lot to take in. It's just, like, I mean, like, interesting doesn't even do what, how, like, I feel, like, how what I'm thinking justice. I can't even say it's interesting. It's beyond interest. It's not even. Yeah. I can't put it into words. Yeah. So, do you want to explain what journal speak is and, and sure. how we can do it? Yes, okay, so... Since that's essentially... Yeah, that's essentially, like, where we are in the story right. anyway, because when Dr. Sarno sat me down, what he what he explained to me is... Um, and let me say this first, because I said this before we went on air, but I think it's important to say. When I speak to large groups of people, mm-hmm. I ask the group. I could be, it could be hundreds of people. 
Raise your hand if you've ever had a stressful day and you've gotten a headache. Every freaking hand goes up. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of a comedian about to go on stage and he goes and throws up. Every hand goes up. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of somebody being panicked and breaking out into hives. Every hand, you know, I am telling you something you already believe. Mm -hmm. When you've had a super stressful day and your boss is being an asshole at work and your kids are having a problem at school and you know, your partner is being this and that and you have a headache, you don't go for an MRI to see if you have a brain tumor. You're like, I had a really stressful day. I'm freaking tired. I need to go to bed and wake up tomorrow morning and have like a better day. Like nobody thinks that my body issues. I once did that. I, I swear, I was like, oh, you went. I was no, I was literally walking on the street. I was in college. And I was walking in the city. And I was walking on the street, and I never really got headaches. And I had a horrible headache, and I was dizzy for two days. And I was like, oh my god, I have a brain tumor. Well, and I, I mean, went and I went to hospital. <laughs> I went to the. This is not why I should do it. I went to the Northern Washington Hospital with my mom, and I got an MRI, and I was like, I swear to fucking God, I think I'm going to do it. Like, I've never had a headache. I've never even been dizzy. What the hell is it? And then the doctor was she's like, you're skinny. You should drink more juice. Well, you know, the thing is, what you <laughs> probably had, had what you probably had was a reaction something. to a, something stressful going yeah. on in your life, but you weren't equipped with that kind of information at the time. But most people, when they have, like, a regular headache, I'm not talking about yeah, something yeah. that blows your doors off. I yeah. mean, like, they, they believe that your emotional life can inform your physical life. Okay, mm-hmm. let's put it that way. So, what Dr. Stark... 100%. Stark, yeah. I just, just and, reminded me of that yeah. <laughs> No, and it's true. And it's true. So, basically, um, what Dr. Sarno explained was the only difference between that, which is like a stressful day with a headache or panic in hives or getting bad news and your stomach goes sick, like, this is just emotional stimuli that cause physical reactions. The difference when people have chronic issues is that, in my opinion, and in his opinion, fear becomes the primary issue. So the fear brings your nervous system to such a place that you don't have the logic anymore to be like, of course, I'm going through a lot in my life. It's showing up in my body. It's showing up in my pelvic area, and I'm having issues. Well, you know, I did have that ex-boyfriend that was an asshole, or, oh, I, you know, I, I am having, like, marital issues, and that obviously, you know, can speak to that area. Or even if it, or some people have repressed sexual abuse. I mean, there's so diff- many different ways it shows up. Or sometimes you're just a really stressed out person, and that's a place where you have, like, a weakness in your system, which you would never know. Like, some people get recurrent yeast infections or recurrent UTIs. It's like me. I would get those all the time. And this is, but this is normal. Everybody has a different biology. Mm-hmm. My biology was I had this structural, normal abnormality in my back. So when my stress levels and my repressed anger and my shit from childhood that I hadn't dealt with reached the level that it, that it was going to come up, my body, which is a beautiful miracle of science, found an opening that was like a, like a, a, a believable opening that I could have a chronic condition that I would focus on that instead of the emotions and that's how our body protects us. And I know that like, if you're, you know, skeptics out there might be listening to me and being like, that sounds crazy. And I will tell you straight up, I was just like you. I said, this is too crazy to be true. This is too good to be true. And guess what? It's true. And it's like that I say to people when they, when they're questioning and when they're skeptical, here's what I say. This is your life. How much is it worth to you? How long would you like to suffer? And I say it with such love because I am here, passionate, carrying this message because I want people to know they don't need to suffer anymore. So you asked about journal speak. 
So journal speak was not a term. I created it. But Dr. Sarno explained to me that you need to really journal. Like you have to like really sit with your stuff. And journaling is a great way to do that because you're not like in front of another person. You're not embarrassed. Like you can say anything. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So he explained you have to create three lists, childhood, daily life, and personality. And these are just bulleted lists. And like, by the way, I'm going to give a lot of information, but I have tons of online resources, which Hannah will talk about. So if you're like feeling overwhelmed by everything I'm saying right now, and you're listening to this, don't worry. Like, I'm just going to basically explain it. And then everything I do, I have a podcast. I have a YouTube channel. I was about to say, you yeah, have a podcast I, where you explain all I explain this, everything like, down in into detail. And I have an online course that you can take on my website. And so there's tons of ways I have the book. You know, which is on Amazon, so there's a million of places to find this. So I'm just going to basically explain it. You make the three lists. They're bulleted lists of stuff you remember from childhood that could even possibly be an issue. That time in third grade with the bully. Like that's, you know, money, um, my parents' divorce, you know, blah, 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 whatever it is for you. So, okay. You want a question? No, keep going. Okay. So then you do daily life. Wait, actually, I do. A okay, question. go. So. The childhood list. Yeah. It can be anything. Like it can it can range from sexual abuse to a bad lunch. Correct. That means you angry. Yes. It can it can re- like I have a client who traced all of her problems back to this one time where she was on stage like in like a rehearsal for a play in third grade and the teacher like seriously embarrassed her like said something really embarrassing and all the kids laughed that ended up being like the nugget that like ended up being like the most of her chronic pain went away when she ended up realizing how much that hurt her and how that informed her confidence for the rest of her life because she was always making her light dimmer because she was embarrassed and scared to be embarrassed so like it could it could be anything and that's why it's so important to make the list and just not judge them and not worry about it like you know some of the quote-unquote heaviest hitting things on my list didn't even end up being like something I needed to journal about that much mm-hmm. you know and, and some of the things that were that were seemingly like so nothing ended up being like really I needed to uncover stuff so here's the thing the reason we use the word trigger is because it's not what happens to you today is not just what happens to you today it's like if you pre- if you press a panic button today and then it goes down into the depths, just like picture like plunging into the earth to the core of you and all the things that happened that led you to have a trigger today. And most of them are very inconvenient to think about because who wants to go back and remember how cringed out they were on stage or how embarrassed they were, you know, when they had to do something and failed or how their, you know, seventh grade boyfriend broke their heart and then like all their friends talk behind their back or how... You, they always secretly thought their parents loved their sister more. Like, there's there's just so many things that happen in life that we just brush off. We oh my brush off. Yeah. Now I'm thinking of all these little things. Little like things. Like, my high school boyfriend forgot about, like, Valentine's Day or something. Like, that was, like, a huge deal. For, and, and if it, listen, it's a, I always say. I was so, so, so upset about that. Like, I can't even tell you. And listen, I would guarantee that if you were dating someone now and they forgot an important thing in your life, you would be so upset. Mm-hmm. And I always say, if it's hysterical, it's historical. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to get super upset about something today that doesn't have a trigger, that somehow is just marinating in you from something that happened before. And it's not to be ashamed of. And it's also, by the way, totally freaking normal. Right. Every, there's no cure for the human condition. 
The reason I call my brand The Cure for Chronic Pain is because chronic, chronic pain is an epidemic of fear. Once you cure the fear and once you excavate the stuff you need to excavate, the pain signals literally stop firing. I'm telling you, it is like a miracle. And I hate that word miracle because I feel like it's like a grandiose word, but there's nothing else more true for this work. But the reason it's not a miracle because it's hard work and you have yeah. to do it. You know? Can I ask you another question? Yes. Because now I'm just really thinking, like, how, and I also like playing devil's advocate, even though I, like, everything that you're saying is really, like, resonating and makes 100% sense, but how could me being embarrassed at a voice recital cause me to have, 10 years later, cause me to develop all the, like, you know, how, like, how do you, Okay, so it's not that the recital helped make it or whatever. have vulvodynia. Okay. Here's what it is. Yeah. If we, okay, so if and we live in the like, if I sound totally ignorant, you don't at all sound ignorant. Better. And actually, it's <laughs> nice to talk to someone who doesn't have a lot of idea about my work because okay. that's this is where the good questions okay. come in. Because I'm sure if people are listening to this and never heard of my work, mm -hmm. that would be a question they would have. Mm -hmm. And I always like to speak to the most skeptical person in the room so because this is good. Actually. This is good. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let's say we live in a mind-body system, okay? So I don't have like a uh, visual here, but I'm gonna do my best to describe it. Picture if there were like um, a beaker or a vase or a container, and it was like in your chest, and it, it originated in your stomach and it was in your chest. So it's like occupying your, your torso. And let's say that every time in your whole entire life, something happened to you that was either embarrassing or made you really sad or made you really angry and you were just being like what we are in this country and, and mostly in the world which is nice and polite and you're not going to make a big deal of things you're not going to speak your voice and you're not going to protest and you're not going to make trouble and so picture like a ladle scooping like a cup into that container okay and now the other two parts of the lists are daily life and personality so let's look at your personality I don't know if, we, if this is for you personally, but many, many people that have my body issues, which is by the way, all of us, but many people that have chronic conditions tend to fall into the category of like wanting to be a nice person, wanting everyone to like them, wanting people to approve of them. Um, a lot of people are really codependent, like I need you to be okay for me to be okay. Are you okay? Are we okay? Like people like that. I'm all these things, I, by the way. So I like forgot about this, but my cousin, I was with all of my cousins the other weekend, and my aunt, I'm going, my, my cousin was, has a tough personality, but I love her to death, that my boy, my new her boyfriend, and I was a little nervous about it because in the past that never went well, and she, the first thing she goes to him, she goes, you know what Hannah used to do all the time when she was little? She used to say to everyone, are you mad at me? Are you mad at me? Are you mad at me? And I was like, oh my God, I literally, for like five years of my life, I would ask everyone if they were mad. Well, this is exactly what I'm talking about, okay? So your very personality right. and the personality that's supported by modern polite society, which is everyone needs to be okay with you mm -hmm. for you to be okay. And, and everyone, and, and like you should, like perfectionistic qualities, like I want to look perfect, I want to be appear a certain way. Every time, and imagine how many times this is triggered, you get a side eye from someone and you feel like they're mad at you. A scoop, a cup goes into this reservoir, okay, that I'm talking about inside your body. And now we have daily life, okay? So we're all grown-ups here, so we had your stuff from childhood, but now we have daily life. And that could be anything from your partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your money, your job, your anxiety about your job, all anything that could be current. And then the personality list is just any bullet thing about your personality. So you have this document that you create, that I created. And then this
this is where I say I created Journal Speak because I did not understand exactly what to do. And I really have, over the years, used myself as a tremendous science experiment because I'm like, I'm going to try it on me, and then I'm going to tell people how I did it. And so when Dr. Sarno explained to me that I had to journal and I had to allow the repressed emotions to rise because as this reservoir within us that I'm talking about gets a scoop in, a scoop in, a scoop in, eventually it's going to reach maximum density. So the liquid in this, in this vessel is going to be at the very top and is going to threaten to spill over. So this is a metaphor for the unconscious mind and the conscious mind. So the unconscious mind is the whole empty vessel that's getting scooped in and scooped in and scooped in. When it reaches maximum density, the liquid isn't at the exact top of the vessel and it's threatening to spill over, it's threatening to come into your conscious mind. So let's just say in the example you gave, your whole life you were like, are you mad at me, are you mad at me? And let's say that one extra scoop of are you mad at me or concern that other people don't like you, don't want you around, don't approve of you, whatever that are you mad at me meant for you. Where does it, like, if, if, what, how would you explain me not even knowing where that stemmed from? Like, I don't even know where that stemmed from. I think that a lot of things, we don't know where it stemmed from because we never take the time to analyze and observe and sort of like even curiously, nicely, kindly look at the mm -hmm. things that have happened to us, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's adaptive, meaning like that's normal because human life is challenging as it is. And if every day you're like picking apart, why am I like this? You're not going to get much done in the day. Right. So it's very normal and human to repress things. And so when that reservoir reaches maximum density and it's threatening to inform your conscious mind of exactly how scared or sad or angry or ashamed or embarrassed you are about everything. So this goes back to your question of how could being embarrassed on stage lead to my pelvic pain? It's not that that one thing led to your pelvic pain. It's years of repressed shit about tons of stuff that is just the natural consequence of being alive. And also, our natures play into it, because if you're born with a rather sensitive nature and you care if people like you or not, that's part of it. Mm -hmm. So that's where the that's where, where this what happens. That answers your question about like how did one thing lead to another. It's not necessarily a, a cause and effect relationship that simply, but it's 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 the conglomeration of a lot of things that happen over years that lead you to being in the space where people say to me all the time, it was the craziest thing. I reached for a plate and my back went out. Like, this is like, see, I, I hear this all the time. You know, I was cleaning up my kids' toys and I bent down for a block and I couldn't straighten up again. You didn't get in a car accident. Most people who come to me are either people who have like something like that where it comes out of nowhere or it's something like pelvic pain or, or fibromyalgia or migraines that you can't even get. Like, there's no there's no reason. Like, you don't have a, a broken bone. Right. Like, there's no... Or it's people who had a hip injury. Like, let's say they blew out their knee in high school and they're 40 and it still hurts. So, like, that's not normal. Your body has a natural way of healing. And it, when it comes through the natural healing point, if years later you're still experiencing pain in that area, I will promise you it can be eliminated with this work. And so, if you do it properly, you know, obviously I always have to do a disclaimer so I don't get like hate mail. I can't fix you if you're not willing to fix yourself, you know, because it's about, it's about doing the work as I instruct. So anyway, the way journal speak plays into this is once you get these lists, journal speak is a practice. It is just like 
doing sit-ups to get six-pack abs. You're not going to do sit-ups once a week and get your six-pack abs. Like, What's like the average time that, not during week, but the list? Like how long does, should the list take to make? Like five minutes or an hour or two hours? Or I would say the list is like not five minutes but not two hours. You know, like, it's like a serious endeavor. Hour. Yeah. Like to sit down and like really, I mean, some people are really resistant. If they've had a lot of trauma, mm-hmm. sometimes they don't want to think about these things. Mm-hmm. And it's like takes them a long time to get through it, you know, so there's no real timeline on it, but once you do get a document, Mm -hmm. you sit down and you just take, I I recommend 20 minutes a day of journal speak to be timed, so like you don't have to worry about how much time, you just put 20 minutes on your phone, turn it over so you're not watching the clock, and you pick an item from the list and you just free write. But the importance of this free writing... About one item? About one item at a time. So you go back to the item, like you go back to the list every time you do the journal speak or not necessarily? Well, here's the thing. Yeah. People tend to ask me this question a lot. The list is a great starting point, but let's say you just had a fight with your mother and you're just freaking pissed and you can't... That's what you can write about that day. Okay. Like it's really about taking a ladle, putting it into this reservoir of repressed tons of stuff and ladling it out <clears throat> one by one until it goes down enough and it stops triggering your nervous system into a sustained fight or flight reaction that sends the pain signals to your place of pain. And once you do that, you'll have some relief. And once you have some relief, the fear goes down. And when the fear goes down, you start to believe that this can work for you. And then your journal speak becomes more, um, it's, it's like, it's almost like the practice becomes more, um, like helpful, you know, it's like, it's actually like getting more, you're getting more realizations on a day-to-day basis, but it's very important to know that journal speak is not about talking about like what happened to you that day. Oh, I went to the gym and then I came home and then I was like a little tired. This is like hardcore F-bombs flying or sobbing or whatever happens for you. Like it's, it is unadulterated, impolite, and it needs to come from your heart and from your stomach. It's gotta be real. And after 20 minutes, this is very, very important, you throw it away. This is a practice. This is not to be done in a leather bound journal that you're gonna keep. This is either on like a legal pad of paper that you're gonna rip into a public garbage can or I like to type it on my computer and I like to, at the 20 minutes, my, my bell goes off, I select the whole thing and I delete it and I save the empty document so nothing goes in the cloud. Beware the cloud. Because <laughs> the whole point of journal speak is it's gotta be a diatribe. It has gotta be a brain dump. It has to be a vent. It, it is a five-year-old kid. So have you ever seen a five-year-old kid in public having like a flippin' tantrum? Mm-hmm. That's what journal speak is. Because inside, the subconscious is timeless. We're all just five years old. And we've grown up, and we have these big, beautiful, grown-up-looking bodies that have surrounded our little five-year-old. But inside, when someone does you wrong, you just want to cry and scream, I hate you, I hate you. You you know, you lied to me. I, I'll never trust anyone again. You know, journal speak is a lot of superlatives. Never. Always. You always let me down. We all know that nobody always lets people down. But it's like... Letting that little kid have a voice is journal speak. It is a rant. And that's why it's so safe because after 20 minutes, you throw it away. And then I like to tell people to follow it up with a 10-minute loving-kindness meditation, any kind you choose. So what I'm asking for in return for your whole life going back, coming back to you, is 30 minutes a day. 
20 minutes of journal speak, 10 minutes of meditation. Any, anyone can carve out 30 minutes of their day to save their own Does life. Does the meditation matter where it's coming from? No. Who's meditation? Or? No. A lot of people love guided meditation. Right. I personally love like to put something um, in my earbuds like uh, monks chanting or singing bowls because I, I get distracted by someone talking to me. Like I like to just breathe. But it doesn't matter. Anything where you're practicing patience and kindness for yourself because what comes up in the journal speak can be really uncomfortable can be like really angry or really sad or really embarrassed and it's about coming back to yourself and saying hey listen you're okay mm -hmm. like we're human of course you feel those things of course that person betrayed you you're okay we can practice the love that we need that maybe wasn't given to us as children maybe we can reparent ourselves the way we weren't parented there's so many different ways to look at it but that's like the core of the practice and god no you go well i was just gonna say and it sounds it sounds too good to be true but i'm just telling you when your nervous system starts going into rest and repair and you start feeling it, it is profound mm -hmm. and it works. What do you, when you're meditating, what do you, like, because I've just been trying to learn how to meditate for so long and I can't, I, like, I can't do it. So are you sitting there, like, are you just breathing or are you thinking or what do you, like, I'm just curious what you, yeah. what you're doing when you meditate. Well, okay, here's the thing. There's because mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking to each other, but we're also talking to whomever is listening. Mm -hmm. Meditation is so much less complicated than people make it. Yeah. I am insane in my brain. Like I am a go go go. You might be able to tell this from my personality. Like I am like full set. Like I want to go and do everything all the time, quickly, and I'm a New Yorker and like so to meditate for me, I was like, no way, I'll never be able to do it. All meditation means is Closing your eyes, putting on something soothing, and sitting there for a few minutes. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't you cannot judge it. It doesn't matter if your brain Are you focusing on like inhaling for four and exhaling? Like, if if that's your gig, like that's right. not that's not what you're I not do. Focused. You're just sitting. What I do is for me personally, I have a mantra. Mm -hmm. It is not some like mystical Sanskrit. It's literally Okay, the mantra I say, it's, it's, it's deceiving, so I have to qualify it. The mantra I say is invite God in, mm -hmm. but I need to qualify because I'm not a religious person, and it's not like the God from temple or church for me personally. When I say invite God in, it's just like a small, short word that also means energy, the universe, love, human connectedness, the way we are all one. I truly believe this in my heart. I believe that all people are intrinsically connected, and I do believe that the only energy that matters in the world is love. Mm -hmm. So when I say invite God in, and I repeat it, and I breathe, and I feel the love I have for myself, and the love I have for everyone I met that day, and everyone I've helped, that is just, it fills me with a tremendous amount of love and peace, and that's how I meditate. Mm -hmm. And I would invite anybody to borrow that from me. It, okay, yeah, because I mean, it's just beautiful. I yeah. just sit, and I just say, religious and I don't see like organized religion is not a part of my life but it doesn't matter like to me I have found the word God to mean a beautiful thing and so I would suggest for you Hannah or for anyone out there to find what is a beautiful thing for them and to invite it in some people just invite love in you know I mean it sounds so cheesy but it's everything like us just being kind to one another is is everything and it's what makes us human mm -hmm. 
So that's what I do, and I do my journal speak, and I do it for 20 minutes, and when the alarm goes off, I erase it immediately. It doesn't matter what I wrote, because it's just a practice. All we're doing is allowing that voice to speak, so our nervous system sees that we are going to be able to feel our feelings without dying, and then it's gonna say, oh, so you mean we don't need you know, back pain or vulvodynia or migraines. We don't need to like slow down and get into bed. Like we can go out into the world and we can feel our feelings and our nervous system and our brain start communicating and with our body and they're like, yeah, we can. And then your life starts lightening up. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. So how, how long does someone have to do, like, I mean, you do this every day now. Well, I don't do it every day anymore. anymore. Here's what I suggest when people, so if anyone is out there listening and they're like in like a serious situation Mm -hmm. where like they're thinking about their pain every day, Mm -hmm. even if it's just once a day, most people think about it every second Mm -hmm. of every day, but whoever you are at the beginning, yeah, you have to do it 20 minutes every day. For how long? Like, I mean, for how many days? Well, until, until until you, until until you start feeling better. better. I mean, what I will say is here's the way it works. You're going to start doing it. Yeah. Okay beginning you're going to be skeptical and I say just suspend your disbelief believe so that my, my work has three facets believe do the work in patience and kindness for yourself you have to believe this is going to work for it to work for you mm-hmm. straight up and that is not because of spirituality or anything like that what this is about is we're dealing with brain science and if your brain does not perceive something as real you're not going to get the energy to go toward it and so um, you know, Wayne Dyer, who's like a very famous guy who recently died, you know Wayne Dyer's work? He's just, he's like a... Yeah, it sounds familiar. He's just like a, a really major voice in like the mind, body, spirit world. He used to say, when you believe it, you'll see it. Mm-hmm. And it's just so true. Your perception is your reality. If you're walking down the street and you think you're beautiful, you're beautiful. There's nothing else. You'll never know what other people think of you. Mm-hmm. You'll never, like, if you think you're the shit, you're the shit. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's all that exists. And the joke is that other people aren't even thinking about you. Everyone's freaking thinking about themselves. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but so the point is your perception is your reality. So the f- most important thing to begin is you have to believe this is going to work for you. And if you are a skeptic and you can't believe this is going to work for you, what I would say is just suspend your disbelief the way you would when you go into, like, a science fiction movie. Mm-hmm. The way you go when you watch The Handmaid's Tale. Like, if you, talk, if you take the entire time and say, well, this is never going to happen which, don't get me started because The Handmaid's Tale feels too much like real life, but, like, if you go into, like, you know, Star Wars or, like, whatever it is that you like. You know, my favorite movie when I was a kid was Field of Dreams. You're very young. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's a great movie. People who are, like... Home Alone. Okay, well... Okay, fine. Let's go with Home Alone. Let's say you... Okay, your favorite movie was Home Alone, okay? Now, let's say, even as a kid, you walked into the movie and you saw that the parents left him alone and got on a plane. And you folded your arms and you were like, this is stupid, it would never happen. No parents would ever really forget their kid and go to Europe. Let's just say you did that. The whole movie would be ruined for you. Mm -hmm. You would not be present for the beauty and the magic and the fun of being in that movie and how funny is it he is that like he's like gonna do all these tricks to adults, like it would be lost on you. You would be an angry, annoyed person sitting in a movie theater and wasting two hours of your life. What we do when we go to movies is we suspend our disbelief. We decide, I don't care if this really couldn't happen. I'm going to be here with it. You know, Field of Dreams, my favorite movie, is about this guy who has um, a farm, and the farm's going to go under, and he hears a voice that says to mow over his whole farm and create a baseball field, and, like, dead baseball players come and, like, 
like it's his dream of like these like famous play- players who played like when he was a kid. Whatever. It's an amazing movie. It's a magical movie that makes you believe in life again by the end. But if you sat there the whole time with your arms folded and said, well, this is stupid, it could never happen, it's lost on you. So what I say is if you can't really believe what I'm saying is true, suspend your disbelief, decide your life is worth it, decide if thousands of people, and if you count Dr. Sarno's work, millions of people around the world have healed through my body medicine, try it. Mm. Suspend your belief and disbelief and try it. I always say my work has 100% misery back guarantee. <laughs> you can have all yeah, your misery it. anytime. You right. can have it back. <laughs> but just try it because but you have to believe and try it. So point of the matter is that if you believe and you do the journal speak 20 minutes a day, you follow it with loving kindness med- meditation, you're just a human person. It's okay that you feel these things. We all feel these things even if we don't want to admit them and go on with your day, here's what's going to happen. So um, let's say you think, let's just pick Volvodinia. So you're all day, every day, you're like checking in with your body. You're feeling, do I feel it now? I'm in pain now. You know, like, or like whatever would cause a flare up. Like, oh, is, is it bad? Right? You're thinking about it. So you're going to do this for, let's say, a couple weeks. I don't know how long. I don't like to put a timeline on it because some people really see results right away. And some people, it's like a couple of months. So, I mean, it depends how much trauma you have. But one day, you're going to get out of bed, and you're going to do, like, three things that you usually do. Brush your teeth, go to the bathroom, you know, pick up your hairbrush, and you're going to be like, holy shit, wait, I didn't feel the pain for, like, the first, like, five minutes of my morning. And the second you realize that, it'll probably come back because the human brain is very suggestible. What I say to people all the time is when you start getting better, your job is to believe it. Your job is to be like, no, that was real. I felt my body, my nervous system relaxed for five minutes. I felt it. I don't care if it's one second that you were going to feel it and you didn't feel it. You acknowledge that. And then you keep doing your journal speak. You either take something off your list or if you're feeling very whatever that day. So what I say is if you're feeling really agitated, like let's say you're really irritated, you're irritable, or you're really anxious, your heart keeps beating or whatever, that your journal speak that day is just, why am I so anxious today? Ask the question at the top of the page and start the journal speak with, I'm so anxious today because, open the door, see what comes. Mm-hmm. I'm so anxious today because, you know what, I was trying to fix my cable and I was on the phone with the lady for 45 minutes, it's not even freaking fixed. I don't care, it can be the stupidest mm-hmm. thing. It's, it's getting you agitated. And then usually, if you start even at something that dumb, you go, and you know what, actually, no one ever wants to help me. No one ever helps me. I feel alone in this world. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, my parents never wanted to help me. They were always too concerned with my sister. Blah, blah, blah. What, I'm making up stuff. Right. But it, I believe journal speak is like putting a bunny down in the snow. It's going to go left. It's going to go right. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. It's going to just like, it's just a bunny trail. It's going to take you where you need to go if you open yourself up to allowing that voice to speak. And after the 20 minutes is up, delete the whole thing, or if you're using paper, you just throw it away, rip it up, sit down, put on some sort of music or whatever guided meditation, and just give yourself the love and acknowledgement you wish you had always been given. And that's it. It's just like going to the gym. You go to the gym and you're done, and you don't say, oh my god, I have to think all day about the fact that I went to the gym. No, it's a practice. It's an exercise. And if you do it, and you start to see results, your fear is going to drop, you're going to 
start seeing more results and then you need to get support and I have like a ton of support I have an online community where people are always discussing the work they're asking each other questions it's a closed Facebook group so like it's got a few thousand people in it everybody's talking to each other it's beautiful it's supportive it's connected no one sees it you know it doesn't go on anyone's um, feed because it's just closed that's community or out to people and you start talking about the work you know you listen to podcasts that's a way to feel like you're in a community listen to podcasts about it and you start to heal and when, this is why you're getting these tearful emails from people when you said that you're going to talk to me because when you start to heal it's like you can't believe it you've been suffering for so long and you start to heal you know I'll say that people have written to me a lot I know you said that you got a, a text like this or a message like this where people are planning their suicide People, I have, I get these emails from around the world. People are like, I could, I can't live anymore with my pain, whatever it is. And so I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it till Christmas. And if not, I need to take my life. This is this one girl I interviewed on my podcast. Um, she's a dancer from Finland. I don't know if you heard that one. Um, she said she was gonna give it till Christmas. She was um, in her 20s and she was bed bound for a year. What, what was wrong with her? Um, well, it started with um, a pulled inner groin muscle from dancing, and then for whatever reason, for quote, I'm, I'm putting air quotes up for whatever reason, just because she didn't understand brain science and the nervous system takes up the pain, and she started getting really scared, and she had a lot of repressed stuff that needed to come out. It ended up being all over intense body pain, which gets diagnosed as, you know, um, regional complex pain syndrome, fibromyalgia, whatever it is, you know, she gets diagnosed with something. The actual diagnosis is actually immaterial. And um, she was bed bound for a year. And she is, like, I'm going to show you pictures of her after we're done with this. You're not going to freaking believe it. Her dance, she's insane. She's like a professional dancer. She couldn't walk for a year. She was planning her suicide. She said she, in a last ditch effort, was Googling online, found my website, started doing the journal speak. After five days of doing the journal speak, she walked for the first time. She walked to her kitchen to get a cup of tea. And she said she was like sobbing in the kitchen like she couldn't believe she walked. And within two or three months of doing it, she was walking around her neighborhood. And now she's back to professional dancing with no pain. And I will show you. It's amazing. This you is, worked with her one-on-one? -on -one? I didn't work oh, with her. She just, no, she, she just did, she, did She did my online course. And she did, and she, um, did the work. And she wrote me an email. On my, just like I have a contact form on my website, she wrote me an email and said, you know, this is my name, I'm a professional dancer in Finland, I'm 25, um, this is what happened to me, I'm sobbing at the computer to thank you for saving my life, I'm dancing again, and I wrote her back and I said, do you want to be on my podcast? Because it was like, it was like a year ago when I was first starting the podcast and I was like, I want to interview this girl, and, and she tells her story, and that's her story. But I'm saying like, this story is not unique. I hear these kind of stories constantly because this is truth. When people really stop and listen to what I'm saying, which is we live in a mind-body system. Okay, so here's the simplest thing I'll say. When you're really, really sad, what happens to you? Generally, all people, starting when you're a baby, you feel, feel really sad in your heart and what happens to you? You cry. You cry. Water falls out of your face. Physical water falls out of your face, okay? What could be a more physical manifestation of an emotional stimuli? We feel sad we cry. and we cry. Our tear ducts swell up and we cry. We live in a mind-body system. Everyone knows it. But when we don't apply it to chronic pain, we are cheating ourselves. 
from a full and happy life. And so that's my mission. I want everyone to know about it because this is crazy that we are in this epidemic of chronic conditions all over the body and pelvic pain is rising as one of the most major problems for women in our society. I hear from people all over the world, hundreds of people a week, about pelvic pain. But you hear from hundreds of people oh, a week. Oh, my God. It's such a big problem. You think problem. it's one of the most like common things it's that getting you hear, there. hear about? I, yeah, it's really, it's really getting there. Yeah. I honestly think And it's just been re recently. recently. Yeah, Why actually, I, mean, I, I, well, I was saying to you before we went on air, Dr. Sarno used to say, in the 80s, everybody had ulcers. Ulcers, ulcers, all anyone talked about was ulcers. And like all of a sudden, like no one talks about ulcers anymore. And I, I do believe, and this is not anyone's fault, this is not human's fault, it's just the way the brain works, that we are very suggestible. You know how like yawns are contagious? Like we're very suggestible. And so when people start having like an epidemic of something like fibromyalgia no one knew what fibromyalgia was 10 years ago no one even it didn't even have a name i mean maybe it did in like smaller circles but i had never heard of it and then like now it's become this prevalent thing all over body pain fibromyalgia it doesn't mean it's not real it's as real as real can be that's another thing i think i really need to say a lot of people i get very little hate i think the reason i get very little hate is i lead with tremendous love first of all this is like my story that my life would have been limited and over had I not found this work. And also because I just have such compassion for people suffering because I know exactly how it feels to suffer and I know exactly how it feels when they wake up to a solution. But one thing that, the one thing that I have heard when I get any criticism is, don't tell me my pain isn't real. Don't tell me my diagnosis isn't real. So I want to clarify that. And what I want to say is, pain is real. It is felt in the body. It is excruciating. When I was going through the worst of mine, I couldn't walk. So it is not that your pain isn't real. Your pain is real, but it's just not coming from where you think it's coming from. It's not coming from a structural problem in your bodily system, meaning there's nothing wrong with your hormones. There's, this is a supplement isn't going to fix this. I deal with people with IBS all the time. An elimination diet isn't going to fix this, and that's why it doesn't fix it. And I'm not saying that none of these things are important. Good nutrition, clean living, you know, um, psychotherapy, acupuncture, um, topical things, you know, like, like a lavender bath, whatever works for you. But in my opinion, the reason it's working for you is it's starting to calm you down and it's starting to deal with the core of the issue, which is, yes, your pain is real, but the genesis of your pain is emotional. And that doesn't mean your pain isn't real. It just means the starting point is something that needs to be considered beyond what you can do to manipulate your body. Does that make sense? Yeah. I have three questions. Okay. <laughs> I'm like trying to keep track of them as I go, as you go. So the first one is in the, in your book, I believe you say an hour of journal speak a day. I think that Dr. Sarno recommended 30 minutes in the morning oh, and 30 yeah, minutes in the evening. Okay. And the reason I don't recommend that mm -hmm. is I think people won't do it. Yeah, I... I they won't. I mean, I don't know. I, but they I, don't. I, I feel like me. it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And, and he used to say that because, listen, he was straight up wanting to heal people. And when I first did this work, I probably journal speak for like two or three hours a day because mm -hmm. I was like, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm a full send kind of person. I just want to go do it. Not everyone's like that. I make it 20 minutes a day with a 10-minute meditation because I do feel that I want to make it reasonable for people. Right. That it's a practice they can fit into their life. And it's just as effective, you find? Um, I would say it is, to say it's just as effective 
it wouldn't be yeah. wouldn't be completely true because the more you do, do something, it, right. as long as you become obsessed with it, but the more you do something, it does. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if you're putting a ladle in something to like dump out the the contents, you're going to dump out more if you do it twice a day. Um, like for example, um, I have like a little. It was like a fun thing that happened for me. Uh, it wasn't fun for her, but. Um, Shoshana Bean is a Broadway actress, and she just starred for four months in Waitress, um, you know, the Sarah Bareilles play. Mm-hmm. And um, when she got tagged to do it, I didn't know her yet, but um, when she got tagged to do it, she had been chronically ill for three months. She had upper respiratory infections, throat infections, colds, um, ear infections, and when you're a singer, that's like your entire livelihood. She couldn't sing. And um, through mutual friends in L.A., we got in touch, and she was like, I need to open in two weeks on Broadway, eight shows a week, and I can't sing. Like, I, I'm sick. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, I can get you well in two weeks. I'm like, but you're going to have to do this like a warrior. You're going to have to listen to what I say. You're going to have to hang on every word, and you're going to have to do this journal speak twice a day like a warrior. And she opened in two weeks and did a four-month run and never got sick. And her voice is insanity. I actually bring her... Um, she, she made like a video, I just taught a retreat up in upstate, so I was, I brought her video of like her story and she tells it to the camera, to my, my audience, and then I play her singing two weeks after we started working together and it's, her voice is magical. If anybody wants to hear Shoshana Bean sing, she used to be mine, just Google that on YouTube and listen to that woman sing two weeks before that, she could barely like sing a note. And so, if you're in an acute situation, if you are, thinking about suicide, if you are a person who is really on the brink, you can do it for as long as you want a day. But the reason I say 20 minutes is because it's a workable thing for a person who's living in chronic pain or illness and wants to fit into their life. Mm -hmm. My next question is, you've explained this, but can you, can you explain it again, like more summarized? What is like, when someone is doing, just for people who are like, still trying to like really process how this can like possibly be possible when you're doing journal speaking you're writing out your emotions on paper how again is that helping okay how how does that make your pain go away okay so we're going to go back to really basic brain science and remember i'm a trained psychotherapist so in addition to teaching and, and doing this i have i have the background knowledge if the nervous system needs to choose a predator. And if everything in life is a choice between what hurts and what hurts worse, mm-hmm. and if your repressed emotions, whatever they are, are viewed as a greater predator than the physical symptom, then when you bring the emotions up and you see them for what they are, and they're not scary to you anymore, the nervous system and the brain have nothing to protect you from anymore, and the pain signals stop firing. The reason that feeling your feelings leads to physical wellness is because when the feelings are no longer a danger to you, the symptom, which was the thing that they were diverting your attention with from the feeling, is no longer necessary. That's why you'll go 10 minutes and realize you haven't had the pain because the signals stop firing. Your body goes into rest and repair and you stop needing the pain. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Does that help? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's why systematic journal speak Feeling your feelings every day like a warrior, even though you don't want to. And P.S. You're not going to want to. You're going to find every reason not to do this. Mm-hmm. Dr. Sarno used to say denial of the syndrome is part of the syndrome. Mm-hmm. And the way I like to translate that is resistance to your journal speak is part of your condition. Mm-hmm. You are Your nervous system is going to say, no, no, no. 
You're right. too tired. No, yeah. no, no. Like you have That's to answer that meditation. email. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I do. I'm like, it's oh. resistance. No. Resistance. Oh. There's a there's a wonderful book called That's the, so interesting. The War of Art. Uh-huh. That's one of like I really highly recommend the book The War of Art. Um, I forget the guy's name who wrote it, but he's the same guy that wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance. But anyway, he writes about resistance in being an artist. You know, I see myself as an artist because I'm also a writer and I also paint. And when I, when I approach the easel or the pen, you know, and I want to create something, the first thing I think of is I should really answer that email. Or I should really, like, let me make sure that the kids' camp is taken care of. Like, I'll think of a hundred things that are not artistic to do. Why? Because a resistance is a fear of failure. And resistance is a fear of growth. And resistance is a fear that we're going to be amazing and our light's going to shine and all the reasons. It's the same thing for journal speak. You're gonna you're gonna have a practice and you're gonna get ready to do it. You're gonna feel exhausted or you're gonna feel distracted or you're gonna feel like you have so many other things to do. Or you're gonna feel like I just don't feel like it. What I would beg of you is if your life is worth it to you and if you would like to live a full life of complete freedom, you you hear that voice of resistance and you say thanks for sharing. I really appreciate. I, I, my hand to my heart, I appreciate you trying to protect me. I get it that we're scared to feel these things. We're just going to do that anyway, okay? And you sit down and you do it. And just like anything that's hard, after you do it, you will feel better. You'll feel proud of yourself. You know, I say to my teenagers all the time, if you want self-esteem, you have to do esteemable acts. Because life is a behavior modification program. You cannot think your way into better feelings. You must act your way. Do things that you are proud of, and you will be proud of yourself. So it, you do have to push past that. I want to backtrack a little. I don't know why. I think I'm making this more complicated than it needs to be. But so say I start tomorrow, okay. and I start doing journal speak. Yeah. And I sit down, and I make the list, and I spend an hour, and I make the three the list with the three categories. And then... The list is a one-time thing. A one-time thing, yeah. right. And, and then I go, I and then I do 20 minutes of journal speak. Yeah. And I pick something from that list. Yeah. Does it matter whether I get whether I spend the next two weeks or three weeks or month or two months getting to everything on the list, or can I just say I don't feel for the next month that those things on the list aren't what's relevant in my head at that moment? And I, I'm like, okay, I wake up the next day and I'm like, I woke up with anxiety because something was bothering me. Can I yeah, write? write about that? Does it matter? Like, do you yeah. have to get to everything on the list, or is that just like? Does it matter? Well, here's the thing. Okay, so now let's just pan out the time. Or should you, am I, like, no, this am is, I going these are great questions. Detail? No, yeah. these are great okay. questions. Let's take a minute, okay? And let's pan out a little bit. Okay, let's look at, let's, I always say, let's Google map it, right? Okay. So let's, like, fly up into the air, and we're going to look at the landscape of your entire life, right? Because I'm going to start doing this, but I'm, I'm like, okay, now I really want to make sure I'm going to do it, right? Of course, right. yeah. So let's look at the landscape of our, of our entire lives, right? There's a million things that happen to us that matter, mm-hmm. good and bad. Right. There are a million things that happen to us. There's a million. The reason you're anxious about something today mm-hmm. is because of a hundred things that happened when you were a kid. Because that's you were built as a human being through your experiences. Right. We're all a combination of nature and nurture. You were born with a certain nature. You were nurtured in a certain way. Comes together to form your personality. Here we are. It doesn't really matter. The lists are like a a roadmap. But if you start having an intuitive, let's pretend um, you put your navigation on and you're driving somewhere, and as you're going, you start to remember the road because you maybe drove that road before, and you turn off your nav and you're like, I know the way. Mm-hmm. That, the, the, road, the, the lists are a nav. 
So, like, if some, sometimes people need it. Sometimes people need to, like, systematically go through it. It's a great way to just get a sense of, like, where you are and what you're thinking. But I don't think I used my lists for very long. I think I went through them to a certain extent and, like, picked out the real hot topics. Then it became just whatever was on my right. mind. But the most important thing, the, the really the most important thing about journal speak is you are raw. You are raw. You are saying the unthinkable because... If you're just talking about things that you would say anyway to your friend over coffee, those are not the things that are making you sick. Can you give an example of how you do it? And you gave the example in the book, in your book, in your podcast, but it like really resonated with me because the example illustrated how raw you need to really be. You mean about my own life or about yeah, like, yeah, client? about your own life yeah. or the client, either one. No, in my own life, I probably yeah. I, 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 I'm thinking of the examples of your own life about your kids. That's what yeah. Well, I that, that was a, that was a major thing. So. When I sat down to do the journal speak, or to do the journaling for Dr. Because that Sarno, just shows how... Yeah, yeah. No, I know. Like, really, you need to really, you know, not just like, my kids are annoying. Yes, okay. So, um, as you guys know, because I told you in the beginning of the story, I was told I would never have children. And another thing that's important to know is that when I was a little girl, and I was thinking about what I wanted to be when I grew up, the only thing that ever occurred to me is I wanted to be a mom. Like, I was the most maternal, like, you know, wrapping up my stuffed animals in, like, a swaddle blanket. Like, that was just the kind of kid I was. Not everyone's like that. So when I heard that I might never have biological children, it was a devastation. And think about the fact that I overcame that, and I had these kids. And so I obviously had this very innate gratitude that I I really decided that I was going to love every second of it. It sounds very naive. But it was just the way my brain worked, that I was going to be Mother Earth and my children were going to stare up at me with their big brown eyes and it was going to be like heaven. And um, any mother who's listening to this is laughing their ass off because that is not the way it goes. And so, and also I made a lot of decisions in my life that were based on fear and I got myself into a situation where I had quote unquote everything I ever wanted. I had a big beautiful house and a pool and my two at the time, I have three kids biological kids now, but I had two babies, and I was very, very deeply empty inside, but I didn't know that. I just thought I was tired, you know, so when I put motherhood on the top of the page, which was the item from my list, and that's what Hannah is referring to, the story of my book, I put motherhood on the top of the list, and I started writing, and I was like, I'm really tired, and the two babies are, you know, both still in cribs, and this isn't how we planned it, and I didn't expect to get pregnant again so soon, and I'm writing what you would say to your friend over coffee. Right. And I had an epiphany, which at this moment, I mean, by now I realized was a bit of a spiritual awakening, where I had a voice that came to me and said, you're lying. And I was like, remember thinking, like, I'm not lying, like, that's what's going on in my life. And, <laughs> like, I was, like, pissed at, like, the inner voice. I was like, what the hell? And the voice, basically, like my inner intuition and my higher self, whatever you want to call it, said, no, you're full of shit, and this is bullshit journaling, and if this is what you're going to do, you're never getting better. And so I paused, and I started writing on the page, and I was, like, freaking mad. I was writing with a pen on, like, a long hand on a legal pad, and I was like, what the fuck is it, Nicole? If this is lying, then what is it? What is so horrible about your life that you can't feel and you're having horrible back pain? You know, if you're going to believe it, then believe it. And I'm, like, screaming at myself, like, in this journal. And then I penned what I would say would be the first line of journal speak ever written, which was, I'm trying to count the later, five words, I hate being a mother. And it was 
poison, the acid of that sentence, like, burned my tongue because I couldn't believe I was saying it. And then it just came spewing out. This is not the life I wanted. I'm trapped. I have these babies. Now I'm ruined. I'm not happy in my marriage. Like, it was, it all came flooding out of me. And I had a, a beautiful realization in that moment, which is I realized that journal speak needs to come out, but it doesn't stay true. And this is why it works. Because once I started spewing all that out, and I was like, I hate it, I hate my kids, and I was really saying awful things that I knew I didn't really feel, but there was a five-year-old having a tantrum, and those words, it needed to start there. And then it quickly morphed to, no, it's not my kids I hate. I hate my parents. Fuck them. They created me in this situation where I wanted to mend all the, the pain of my childhood by having these babies and having them fix me. And I started like yelling about that in my journal speak. And then quickly I was like, nope, nope. It's not my parents that I hate, it's myself. I hate myself for being so weak. And why can't you just, and I just was like, it was exactly what needed to come out. It was that five-year-old finally, finally, at long last, having this tantrum. It took me like 20 years, or how long, 10 years? To be able to get this, like I didn't know I felt this. Journal speak no, 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 no. This, no, no, no. I, I read Dr. Sarno's book when I was nineteen. Oh. I didn't. Do, this was the first day after meeting Dr. Sarno in the city after the year of chronic pain. So this is I already had two kids, so okay. I got the concept. But okay. This is after the incident with my son in the walker. Okay. This was the literally the first day I ever really did it. Okay. Okay. And I and it starts all spewing out of me, and at the end of this rant. I come to this really beautiful place of compassion, and this doesn't always happen within a journal speak session, but remember, I was probably sitting at that page for like an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. This was not in 20 minutes. Like, I was I was going for it. Like, once I started going for it, I let it, I didn't even know what I was doing. I was, because what I think is that I'm really called to do this work, so yeah. I was like discovering it in myself so I could teach it to other people. Yeah. And what ended up happening at the end of this is I just felt such tremendous compassion for my children, my beautiful babies, who I did not hate them. I just needed to, like, vent and be that little kid that never got to say it myself. And then I had compassion for my parents. Like, yeah, they screwed it up in some ways, but, like, they were doing their best. And then I had tremendous compassion for myself. Just like, oh, my goodness, you're just, you're 32 years old. You're trying to deal with all this stuff, trying to live a super big grown-up life. You know, you don't even feel grown-up yourself. Like, I had so much compassion. And the beauty of this story, and I have to say, this doesn't happen for everyone, and sometimes I think the reason this happened for me is because I really, I was destined to, to do this work and carry this message, but I woke up the next morning, and my back pain was 80% gone, and it never came back for all these years, and within a couple months of doing the journal speak daily, which then I understood to be journal speak, it didn't have a word yet right. for it, but I, I practiced this, this deep, cutting honesty every day on different topics, Within a couple of months, my back pain went away, and that was, you know, 15 years ago, and I've never had it since, not one day. And so you only did journal speak one day? No, I'm saying I, my back pain never came back after that. I've never had it like a, a chronic back pain again. No, I did journal speak probably in total. I did it daily for like a few months, mm -hmm. and then I would go down to like two days a week. It's like anything with your health. You might do something regularly and get yourself into prime shape, and then, and then like, like you just made maintenance. Yeah, like I'd say now in my life, I probably journal like one to three days a week, and then some weeks I'll go like two weeks and not do it at all. But then like I'll get like I'll get achy, I'll get headache, I'll like no, I'll get anxious more than I need to be. I'll be like low energy, and I'll be like, okay, 
I know what needs to happen. I need to vent it out, and I'll do a couple really good journal speaks, and I'll feel freaking great. Like, I'll feel, like, so alive because my nervous system shifts from fight or flight to rest and repair. I don't feel anxious. Like, it's it's a it's a maintenance program after a while. But, but if you're in a lot of chronic pain, especially if you've been dealing with it for years, it does take a little while to get out of it. But if you persist, it will. Do you keep the original list, or does it not matter? Um, I certainly don't have my old one right. anymore, but um, I would say like once this becomes a real practice, it becomes you intuitive. You yeah, don't you need don't it. Like I would keep it for like the first couple of months, keep it safe. You know, it's not the list is not that revealing, right? But it's not something you would want like on your coffee table and right. people come over. But like yeah, like keep it in a drawer, mm-hmm. refer to it, and then once you become like a journal speak warrior, like I say, then you're really just coming to the page each day with what's going on in your life something that's been nagging at you that you know you need to get out. I'm a huge believer in writing letters you'll never send. Honest, crazy honest letters to people that have hurt you or even people that you love that that you have like something that you just don't want to hurt their feelings but like you need to be said. Write the letter, throw it out. You never need to send it to them. This is a gift you give to yourself. Is there something, let's say someone, let's say you're on an airplane or you're in a meeting or you're somewhere Maybe an airplane's not the best example. But you're in a meeting, or you're at a car, you're with people, you're at a party, a party's yeah. a good example. Somewhere where you can't write, and yeah. you're like, you have pain, and the pains come, and you feel yeah. something creeping up, and you can't, it's not the right place to pull out a pen and right. paper, or a computer, or whatever. Is there something that you can say to yourself, or tell yourself, or totally think that like yes. can kind of do the equivalent, not the equivalent, but like, can do like a fraction of what journal yes. speak could do to help calm yourself down. So here's what I'll say about that. Mm-hmm. Journal speak is a practice, and if you don't do it regularly, this won't work. Okay. So like, there's no, there's no other way out than through. Okay. Right. So you gotta go through. Right. And so, you gotta be doing it on a daily basis, especially if you're in serious, like, got a serious condition. However, I talk about journal speak. It's like learning a, a different language, mm-hmm. right? So I'm gonna teach you a whole different language, and you're gonna practice it every day. And then you're at the party. And you know the language of journal speak, and you know the honesty, and you know the gentle kindness that you have to give to yourself to let yourself feel your feelings. So you're at the party, and you're having a good time, and your ex-boyfriend shows up with another girl, you know, whatever. Or like your best friend is rude to you and embarrasses you, and you feel the pain like kicking up. You take a moment. Sometimes, I always say go to the bathroom, like take a minute where you can be by yourself for one second, and tell the truth to yourself right there. I know what's going on right now. I'm feeling really angry. You know. I hate when people say everything's fine. You're not fine. That was my next question. Yeah. You're not fine, and you don't have to act unfine in front of other people. Just be like, I'm not fine. Actually, that's really not okay with me. It's really disrespectful that he showed up with that girl. Or, you know, if Sarah says that thing to me one more time that she says to me, my God, I don't even know why I'm friends with her anymore. In fact, she's toxic. Like, say whatever you need to say to yourself. Doesn't mean you go out there and, like, throw everything off the table. You're just... You are just acknowledging, and if the pain doesn't go away right away, then you just have to practice loving compassion for yourself and say, okay, today I'm going to be in pain. Looks like today's a painful day. Looks like there's too much for me to feel, and I can't get through all of it. That's okay. You know, I want to say this is a very important concept for people to understand. There's, I'm going to quote this directly because I don't ever want to attribute anything to me that's not my words. So there's a a writer, her name is Danielle Laporte, and she writes this book called White Hot Truth. It's like a kind of light, sort of beach read spirituality, but it's a good book. 
And in the book she writes, would it be possible for you to not crave to be any different than you are right now? Because here is the sacred paradox. Transformation begins with the radical acceptance of what is. And that's sort of like a kind of fancy way to say, if you're in a situation and all of your energy is going to have the situation be different than it is, you're not getting out of that situation. So if you're at that party and your pain is kicking up, you're like, I don't want to feel it. I don't want to feel it. I can't feel it. It's got to be different. You're gonna, it's going to go up so high because your fear and your nervous system and your fight or flight is up, up, up. But if you say, hmm, yeah, well, that's to be expected. I just got really triggered and all right, well, looks like I'm going to have pain at this party. Not what I wanted, but oh well. I promise you, your pain will probably, first of all, go down. But even if it doesn't, it won't get worse and you will be able to deal with it later in your journal speak. But acceptance is the answer to all of your problems. And people think acceptance means resignation, or it means giving up, or it means saying, it's okay for me that I have pain. And it's not the case. It's just not making things worse. You know, like people often with obesity, like if they're like 300 pounds, of course they're desperate not to be 300 pounds. But if you're 300 pounds, the best way to start losing weight is to go, all right, I'm 300 pounds. Okay, well, I guess if I have to be 300 pounds forever, that'll be that. When that kind of acceptance comes over you, then you have this opportunity for anything because you're not fighting against what is. You can't change what is. If you're at a party and your pain's kicking up, that's what's going on. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, perfectly. What I don't want people to do is pretend that it's not there because what okay. we resist persists. Oh. So if you start like feeling, that. yeah, well, that's that's like a very commonly held term yeah. in like spiritual and mind-body practices. Right. What you resist persists. Right. Like I don't remember the first person who said it, like some guru. It wasn't me. But <laughs> the point is what we resist persists. So like if you have pain, you're like, mm -mm, nope, nope, not feeling it, not feeling it. Well, can't you feel the fear that starts coming up with that kind of energy? Sometimes we feel things in our hearts, mm -hmm. and sometimes we feel things in our bodies, mm -hmm. and they're interchangeable. Right. Literally. So, like, you would never, you would never feel like a wave of sadness and be like, oh my god, oh shit, I just felt sad. Oh my god, what's gonna happen? You'd be like, oh god, well, that was sort of sad, and you'd right. let it pass through you. You'd let it just whoosh, whoosh, pass through you. But if you felt vulpidinia, if you felt sciatica. You clamp up. You're like, nope, nope, don't want to feel it. And then it gets stuck there. But what we resist persists. Sometimes if you feel angry, you're going to feel it in your back. Sometimes if you feel scared, you're going to feel it in your pelvic area. Sometimes if you feel anxious, you're going to feel it in your stomach. Sometimes if you feel aggravated, you're going to feel it in your headache. So what? Right. It's just one way that we feel things. Like, we need to freaking open to the fact that we are like a whole package. Mm -hmm. We're not just a piece of meat walking around. We're like a lot of things. And that's what makes us special, and that's what makes us beautiful. And so when you embrace all of it, first of all, the net-net result of doing my work is people feel more free, more liberated, more at peace, more present in the moment. Every single person reports this to me. Mm -hmm. So that's the end result. I always say the pain is the biggest, littlest part. It opens you into the work. It reminds you that actually there's more to attend to than just your physical body in this life. Then, once you get rid of the pain and you start realizing all these things you haven't really let yourself say and do, you start living free. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want for everyone. I want everyone to have complete freedom. So we have to, unfortunately, end, which is really sad because I have like a hundred bajillion million more questions. <laughs> so what I want to tell everyone is to listen to your podcast because I was listening to it a lot the past few days 
and wrote down everything I wanted to talk about with you. I mean, I didn't even get to, like, Half the majority of it. <laughs> we got to a lot. Yeah. But I still have a million more things, so... Anyways, we covered a, a lot, and I'm really, 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 really thankful for that. But everything else that you talked about that is really interesting and really important, such as, like, Flo, you touched upon this, and I wanted you to, I was going to ask you to talk more, but we don't have time, leading with love versus leading with fear, yeah. and what hurts at first, what hurts worse, and let me see all of my notes. I have so many notes that you were like, yeah, this is going to be, like, five hours. Yeah, no, she, tr- she sent me, like, a Google Doc, <laughs> and I'm like, um... Are we doing an all-day podcast? Uh, which is great. It's like everybody really, your podcast combined. I, I really do. I really do. I appreciate yeah. your enthusiasm about the work because uh-huh. it's so life-changing. And for you to have all these really awesome, interesting questions about it is I, w- I wish we had all day. But, like, mm-hmm. I will say for people, if, if you are suffering out there, if there's anything that you are curious, you've heard this conversation between the two of us and you're curious, you think this might work for you, even if you're angry and you're like, screw it, that's stupid, it will never work for me, but somehow I'm curious, um, just come and look at what I have to offer. I put a lot of um, content out there for free because in my heart, I really do want to help people as much as possible. I have a podcast, it's called The Cure for Chronic Pain with Nicole Sachs, LCSW. You can find that on um, iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, uh, follow me at Instagram because I put up tons of content there at NJ Sachs on Instagram, N-J-S-A-C-H-S. Um, and I always post, like I have a new podcast that drops every Friday. I always post about it. I post about other interesting things that I'm doing for work. If I'm going to run retreats, I do not see people privately anymore because I'm working on bringing this message to the global community, but I travel and I speak and I run retreats and I, so that's one way to work with me in person. The, um, the, I've been renewed to go back to the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York next summer. It's going to be epic. It goes on sale in September. I'll I'm be talking. Yeah, Hannah's going to be there, <laughs> so we're going to both be there. You can yeah. hang out with us. Um, and so I'm going to be talking about that on my Instagram. I also, as I mentioned, have a closed group on Facebook called Journal Speak with Nicole Sachs. Um, LCSW on Facebook, totally closed group. But the one place to find all of these things is just go to thecureforchronicpain.com and click on the resources tab. And that has absolutely everything I offer. I have a YouTube channel with tons of free videos. And also um, on my website, on the homepage, if you want to sign up for the first lesson of my course for free, then I'll have your email and then I can like put you on my newsletter and you can find out all the things that I'm offering as more and more come available. So that's the best way to learn more about my work. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. Special. This is so fun, and I'm so glad that it worked out. Me too. I wish we could. I could literally sit here all night, but <laughs> that's just, unfortunately not going to happen. So. <laughs> but thank you, and I hope everyone really, really, really enjoyed listening. I mean, I'm like sitting here at full body chills for an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> so thank you again. Please rate and review this episode, and... If you have any questions, you can also email me at info at the women's pelvic health podcast.com. I wish all of you health, healing, and happiness. Thank you. Thank you.